Welcome to Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. This week, your commits held at ransom, updates to Confluence, security profiles, and more. I'm Ryan Spilkin, and I'm joined today by Matthew Stubblefield and Brenda Burrell. Matthew, Brenda, hello. Hey, Ryan. Hello. It's so good to see you both. Let's start off with... A ransom note. This is hot off the press. Hot off the press, not even presented with mismatched fonts, which is really disappointing for a ransom campaign. But it seems like several Git repositories were held ransom in a ransomware incident. Yeah, this is something that popped up on Atlassian's blog today on the Bitbucket blog. So we are recording on May 14th. And uh, just before recording this, it popped up. We'll include the link to that, but... Uh, as of this recording, the link doesn't actually work, uh, which was like, oh, is this an accidental publication? Turns out, no, we found a working link on GitLab's blog, so we'll include that as well. So if the last one isn't working for you, you can read about it in GitLab. And uh, uh, GitLab, GitHub, and Atlassian Bitbucket are all issuing this joint blog post today, May 14th. Uh, we'll release this podcast, I assume, on Friday, as is our want. Um, so you may have heard about it by now, but kind of interesting little thing. So I'll preface this by saying that Bitbucket, GitHub, GitLab all state there's no evidence that the products were compromised in any way. And they just, they want to share this information to help the development community better, as they phrase it, better understand and collectively take steps to protect against the threat. While the products weren't compromised in any way, though, the Git repos totally were. Yeah. Uh, they were. They were wiped out, a ransom note put in. Uh, and all three companies started working together and working with customers to help address this. Um, so the first part of the, the blog post kind of covers what happens. It shares the note, uh, talks about how this has happened in the past, and then shares some really helpful information on both how to protect yourself. Uh, in particular, multi-factor authentication, always recommended. You can do uh, two-factor authentication using your phone. There's different ways to approach this, but multi-factor, always super helpful. You should absolutely be doing that if you're not today. And then some steps on how to recover an affected repository and what the software development you know, sort of platform community as a whole is doing to protect users. Uh, so it covers that. So um, if you weren't affected, you may not have heard about this. Uh, and if you're in that lucky camp, hooray. Uh, go turn on multi-factor authentication. Uh, take these <laughs> steps right now. If you were affected, you're probably doing that now since you weren't before. Uh, but uh, take a look and keep your keep your accounts secure, everybody. And I do want to point out that uh, the article states that all known affected users have been notified. Um, so if you haven't heard about it, you're not affected by it. But the tips in this article are still very important tips on how to protect yourself and how to recover a repo if it is affected. So it's certainly worth checking out. Absolutely. And like we've talked about in previous podcasts, Atlassian is doing a lot with security. They're really leaning hard into that. We've got another article that we're going to share in the podcast uh, notes in SoundCloud. Uh, not talking about it a whole lot, but it's an interesting interview with Atlassian's head of risk and compliance, George, and George, I apologize if I butcher your last name, Totev. Uh, and it doesn't really share details on what Atlassian's doing. And this podcast, we typically are focused on more of the release notes and like what, what actions are being taken. 
But this gives you a bit of insight into where they're coming from and why, and uh, sort of the philosophy that Mr. Todov holds as the, the head of risk and compliance. So if you are that particular subset of geek who really enjoys that type of thing, uh, <laughs> take a look in the SoundCloud notes and you can read that interview to get a bit more of uh, the philosophy driving some of these security changes and uh, you know what's, what's providing some direction to Atlassian. Continuing on the hot off the presses trend, um, today, May 14th, Atlassian published the Bitbucket Server 6.3 release notes. Um, so if you are interested in learning how to avoid conflicts with Git LFS file locking, uh, if you're interested in learning how to compare commits, um, those things are documented in the 6.3 release notes. There will be a link to that in the SoundCloud description. Sadly, there are no GIFs in this article, so you'll just be... Uh You'll just have to be content with a still picture of the compare image. We kind of have to ask ourselves, like, is Atlassian's focus on security coming at the cost of their gifts? And if so, is that acceptable? I would ask them to reconsider. We really don't have to ask these kinds of questions, to be honest. Or do we? <laughs> yeah, someone does. Someone does. <laughs> uh, I volunteer as tribute. Um, while we're on the release train, there was another, this is actually a fairly quiet period of time for releases in this, uh, but we did promise to read the release notes for you. And so we did read the release notes for Confluence 6.15.4. And uh, you can too, because we'll include that link in the SoundCloud. There's not a whole lot going on here, some fixes. And um, if you're having some trouble with your Confluence 6.15, Dot four is going to be uh, the thing that fixes them for you. So go download that and read the notes here. And continuing on with news, just in the ecosystem in general, uh, there is a link to an ecosystem roundup in the SoundCloud description um, that includes a status update on the rollout of GDPR APIs, um, including roadmaps for those for Bitbucket Cloud, Dirt Cloud, and Confluence Cloud. Uh, information on... Um, Dashboards for data center and server for JAC, focusing on uh, current and future work planned for JIRA server and data center. Um, recently resolved issues, current work and future plans. Um, and notably, the EAP version of Confluence 7 available. Uh, this is a platform release, so it will contain changes including um, supporting Java 11 and uh, deprecation of features and removal of deprecated code. Um, so we recommend going ahead and starting to play around a little bit with uh, the EAP version of Confluence 7. Uh, to kind of get ready for the rollout of that enterprise release. Um, more information about uh, product releases, uh, including Bitbucket and Jira Server, um, and as always, links to helpful resources for ecosystem developers. Yeah, so most of this is targeted at those of you who are creating apps, uh, and particularly the GDPR API changes. Uh, if you're an app developer, this is really important for you to read and understand. For everybody else, you probably don't need to worry about it. But for those of you who are server admins, if you're a Confluence admin, I uh, recommend grabbing that EAP in the not-too-distant future, getting on your staging instance. Um, uh, for everybody else, it's on the developer's blog, so uh, may not be worth uh, a deep dive for you. If those acronyms had meaning for you, check out the article. <laughs> if not, you're off the hook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, we like we like talking about gifts, and one of my favorite gifts to use in a Slack workspace uh, or you know on the World Wide Web of Tubes is the popcorn gif. You know those gifts where the guy comes and pops out the folding chair and sits down with a cup of popcorn, or somebody's. I, I always the think of Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson yep. eating the popcorn. 
That is the one. That's the one. So so get out your popcorn gifts because over on Atlassian Community, they have posted a an article that is titled Sneak Peek Improvements Coming to Server and Data Center. Now, in all fairness, these are all things that we've talked about, or most of the things that are in this list are things that we've talked about in the past. It's all stuff that came out at Summit. It's not really so, a sneak a, peek so much as a roll-up. Yeah, a roll-up, yeah. <clears throat> a fruit roll-up, even. But the thing is, is that this being community, there are people commenting, and Atlassian is responding. And that's where the popcorn comes in, because sometimes the fireworks can fly. And not just fireworks, but we've we've actually linked to a few of these in the past year or two. Uh, this becomes a really helpful resource for the community because sometimes these threads will spawn one or 200 plus comments and discussion chains and can even influence the direction the Atlassian takes. So look at the post itself. It's a bunch of bullet points. It's stuff we've covered on the podcast in the past, uh, especially if you attended Summit. None of this is going to be a surprise. Scroll down to the comments at the bottom and uh, and maybe even bookmark this uh, this post because it's probably going to be growing over the next year. Or contribute to it. Atlassian wants to hear from you. If you're not a member of community already, sign up and tell them what you want in the future for server and data center. As you do this, um, you're going to be posting from an account with profiled information, undoubtedly. Um, And so this is a great opportunity to talk about upcoming changes to Atlassian account profiles. Matthew Ryan and I had a little chat before we started recording of, didn't we talk about this already? Uh, But there are some additional changes uh, coming up in addition to what we've spoken about previously on the podcast. Um, Atlassian is going to be providing additional controls to manage your visibility across cloud products. products. Um, So this is going to allow users to specify who can see their information. Um, They're phasing out usernames in favor of using full names and public names. Public names being the display on community-oriented Atlassian sites such as community or jira.atlassian.com. And that allows users to set their own visibility on um, who can see that. So if for managed account users, you can specify visible to anyone, visible within the organization or only you. Um, And then for... Unmanaged account users, you'll be able to choose visibility for profile photos, locations, et cetera, uh, to anyone or only you. Um, so there's more information about this. Um, check out the link in the SoundCloud description. Matthew, this is what you were talking about with Atlassian deciding to go above and beyond GDPR. This really seems to be a, a th- a, just a spinoff of that. I mean, I think to some extent, uh, as I read over this, I wasn't thinking so much about GDPR, though I think that is an influencing factor. I was actually thinking about uh, just sort of the premise of giving users additional control and being sensitive to uh, uh, user needs or desires. So public name is a good example of this. You know, what name do you identify as? And usernames are sometimes really challenging to change, or at least they take a while. Um so if you think about, you know, if someone is going through a divorce or they've become a widow and they want to change their last name or they've gotten married recently and want to change their last name, changing the username sometimes takes a while. It can be done, but it's problematic. If you want to go change your public name quickly, you can do that. You're posting on a public community site. Maybe you don't want your last name or if your username includes your last name, maybe you don't want that on there and you just want it displayed differently. Uh, if you are uh, going through you know, gender reassignment or a transition and you want your name displayed differently, being able to control that yourself, uh, that's, that's, 
you know, always really helpful and nice. And so that's what I thought of as I read these changes to, to public things. And it's just, it's giving users control, which that is a big focus of GDPR is letting users, you know, decide what they want shared and to, to remove, remove information from systems. Um, but I was just thinking about a lot of these as just not exactly nice quality of life changes, but just like, again, taking that step of, of meeting user needs and uh, thinking through that sort of end to end of, of what that would look like. And uh, so, yeah, I, I like this move. I think this is really good. I think I'm going to change my uh, Lassian public user to Jira Hunter 1979 F. Yeah. No, you're not. <laughs> Brenda's right. I'm not. <laughs> the kibosh <laughs> on that immediately. It's not 1996 anymore, Ryan. I'm sorry. <laughs> and for those of you who don't have a Brenda around to make sure that you're doing the right thing or not doing the wrong thing, MetaInf's Ultimate Permission Manager is coming to Confluence. Uh, for those of you who maybe have been using Ultimate Permission Manager, you might be thinking to yourself, but it's already in Confluence. What are you talking about? The news uh, published on May 3rd in their blog post, which, as is so often the case, was just like two days after we recorded the last podcast. Uh, Ultimate Permission Manager has been acquired by Atlassian and is going to be presumably integrated with the core product. Um, specifically, though, uh, the blog post states will be integrated in Confluence Data Center. Data Center. So, yeah. Who knows if we'll see something similar in cloud? I would guess not. Uh, will it come to server? I would assume no. I assume this is going to be another one of those differentiators like we talked about before to encourage people to upgrade to data center. Uh, but yeah, so that'll, that'll be up there, uh, maintained by Atlassian and integrated. We'll link to the blog post for those of you who haven't been using Ultimate Permission Manager, uh, particularly if you are or are considering becoming data center customers, take a look because it'll be a nice feature set that will become available to you as just part of your Atlassian Confluence license. Can I, can I just say... I loved this article. It really had this vibe of we're sending our baby off into the world. And it just, it's such a nice little article. So props to Daniel who wrote this. It, it made me smile. So you will find the link to that in our SoundCloud description. Make sure you check it out. Get one of those smiles for yourself. Next, it's my turn to try and butcher a name because Atlassian has announced Zapier integration for Jira Service Desk Cloud. Zapier? What's Z funny is it's been Zapier? around forever. I mean, not forever, but like I feel like I've been hearing of Zapier slash Zapier. If you know the right <laughs> way to say it, email us at learn at adaptivist.com. I had to get that a will, plug that'll in. That'll need there. to be a recording, though. Record yourself on YouTube or, or something saying it. Since According to their Twitter, uh -huh. how do you pronounce Zapier? It rhymes with happier. Zapier. Uh, Zapier. Oh, Zapier. Zapier. At Summit, so now we know. At Summit, I definitely heard people refer to it as Zapier, and I went, that seems odd, mm. but okay. Are they now really we know. French? No. Now we know. <laughs> Zapier. Okay. Please continue, Ryan. Thank you for finding that, Brenda. You're very welcome. Zapier is a very useful tool that they're rolling out in Jira Service Desk Cloud, where they're going to allow you to connect JSDC to over 1,400 apps. That's a lot of apps, yo. And so this is going to allow text message capabilities coming off of the cloud. Um, 
send it out to Typeform, Google Forms. Recurring requests can now be scheduled with Zaps. Oh, it makes sense. Zapier. Sure. Totally. Totally. Okay. Get it. Maybe maybe you need your Ecobee thermostat to every time the temperature gets too high, create a Jira ticket for you and send a notification. I don't know, but you could zap that. I totally went the opposite way, which was when your queue reaches a certain point, turn the thermostat up to uh, motivate your agents to work faster. (laughs) Oh, Oh, that's evil. I'm an evil boss, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking I'd like an email when somebody actually raises the thermostat so I can ask them if they think that we're heating the whole neighborhood. That's the that's the dad ticketing system right there. Yeah, the like dad. It. I'd also like something to tell people to get off my lawn. Yes. We yeah, we could do some geolocation it. stuff. Yeah. Ooh. No. <laughs> Zap that right my way. Speaking of Jira Service Desk, um, we have a, another article on supercharging the agent experience in Jira Service Desk Cloud. Um, first, starting off with uh, you know props to agents. They are the unsung heroes of any service team, and this is absolutely true. Um, and so there are some new features being released in Jira Service Desk Cloud um, that let you uh, work more effectively, including upgraded queues and a new issue view. Um, so you can now sort issues by breach time, prioritize what to work on, um, basically as far as most pressing requests, um, and lets you integrate with um, a lot of other new tools. And um, for some issues, you might want to actually speak face-to-face. Um, we, there is now going to be the opportunity to integrate with Zoom, uh, which we use and are, in fact, using to record this podcast. So you can actually schedule, change, and launch a Zoom meeting directly from a ticket, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and so the article goes on to reference Zapier um, to talk about more of the automations um, that you can integrate. So lots of good stuff out there. The Slack integration looks cool, too. And GIF alert, they've got a GIF for it. The other thing I really liked from this was the screenshot that uh, demonstrated editing fields from your queue. So uh, you're, you're seeing sort of like mm-hmm. the, the issue navigator, um, but you can't edit fields in the t- traditional Jira navigator. Issue navigator, you, you can't edit, um, not editing fields, but the contents of fields. So like assigning an issue or, or changing something. I don't know what the constraints on that will be. My guess is, like in many other instances, it won't be every single field is editable. But uh, it does show at least some uh, will be changeable just directly from the queue, which is pretty nice. That's a pretty nice quality of life improvement. But again, these are all coming to cloud. There are some great plugins for Jira Service Desk Server and Data Center that are also available to do some of these similar functionality. Um And you can find those on the Atlassian Marketplace. All right. And last on today's podcast, we have a special segment where our very own Brenda Burrell got to talk with the one and only, what can we call him? Raging Scotsman? He's not raging. The the, He is pretty raging. The raging Scotsman, Neil Penny, our learning and development consultant here at Adaptivist. And let's listen to Brenda's chat with Neil now. Well, it is an absolute pleasure today to introduce Neil Penny, who is our lead learning and development consultant at Adaptivist. And Neil is joining us today to speak a little bit about our automated appraisal system that we have built at Adaptivist. Um, Neil, thank you for being here. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Brenda. Hello, and uh, hello to everyone listening. Nice to, nice to be on the pod finally. 
<laughs> We're very happy to have you here. Um, so to get us started, just tell me a little bit about the concept of appraisals um, for any of our listeners who may not be familiar with what the term refers to. I have a picture right now of anyone who's just sort of listening to your podcast and thinking we're going to talk about all the wonderful things that's happening in Atlassian. We're going to talk about all these systems. And now we've brought this guy on to talk about appraisals, which is like the one thing that everyone hates in all business everywhere. This is going to be a turgid 10 minutes. So let me see if I can uh, address that head on, but also see if I can uh, maybe turn them around to potentially how it could work. In, in that sense. But for anyone that doesn't know or hasn't gone through a process yet, uh, appraisals are a tool. And there are tools that business can use to help us understand and measure an employee's performance uh, over normally over a period of time, which is about a year. Uh, in some cases, depending on how the business works, the appraisals can also be used or can feed into any kind of remuneration process that a business might have. So if they pay out a bonus or something like that, we can be using it to measure against those things as well. In, an, in a nutshell, that's what an appraisal does, basically. From the HR perspective, that's a very vital part of a process. From an employee perspective, that can be a time of great apprehension. Tell me why that might be a reason that appraisals might be loathed by employees. Uh, I, would, I would add to that, actually, to say that there's, there's a great argument that could be made by us working in HR that we also loathe them as well. Uh, and that's, that's because it creates quite a lot of problems and it creates a lot of frustration. And exactly as you said, most employees would be like, oh, God, I just I hate an appraisal. Why do we have to do this as well? Uh, there's a number of reasons as, as to why this is the case. First of all, because it doesn't sometimes relate to people's day-to-day -day work, they don't see the overall purpose of it. So again, this just depends on the, the specifics of your appraisal system. But sometimes in an appraisal process, you may be measured against the company's values. And you know, if the company one of the company's values is like care, how caring was Brenda this year on a scale of one to five? She was very caring, very, very caring. And as an employee, you're suddenly going, I'm, I'm a software developer. I, I care about my work, but what's, what's caring got to do with how I you know, solve a problem or work with my client, uh, address these kind of things. So there can be that kind of disconnect where it doesn't actually connect into their day-to-day -day work. So it, it doesn't mean anything in that sense. The, the process is generally always uh, convoluted. It's never straightforward, but then again, working with people never is, which can be frustrating. And one of the biggest challenges is, is that what tends to happen is we only do them once a year. So you'll work throughout the year and you'll be doing really good work and doing all the checks and stuff. And then you basically come down and you meet with your manager and your manager goes, I don't know, we haven't spoken in a year. How have you been getting on? And they go, fine. Like, do you still care? Yes. Okay. Tick, tick, tick. That's all done. And then away we go. Um, to which most employees go, what's the point of this? It's just like this one pinch point in a year. It's turgid. I have a difficult conversation. And sometimes it goes well, and sometimes you hear things that you never heard before and go, why am I only hearing this now? This sucks. Um, combine that with how HR view it, we're on the other side of that as well, going, why aren't you not doing this properly? And when you do do it, it seems to punch us in the head as well. So it can be very frustrating for all parties involved. On the subject of frustration, tell us a little bit about the appraisal system that we had a deductivist before you joined the company or right around the time you joined the company. <laughs> um, ooh, 
I, I can be, I will be kind here, but maybe I need to be honest for the sake of the listeners with it as well. So for a little bit of a bit of context, for anyone that doesn't work in HR or doesn't work in L&D, one of the reasons why we want to have data, and let's be clear, this is about data. If we have data in HR, there's so much we can do with it to plan ahead and think about what's the right kind of things that we want to do with the business to help both individuals and teams grow and improve and get better. But if there is no data and we don't know what people need, there's very little that we can do to help them except, you know, go around one by one and go, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? And generally, that's not a good question to ask in the first place. So you don't get a good answer. Uh, so for, part of the appraisal process is that whatever input we can put into the system, we can then extract it and then better understand the needs of an employee or a team and then the entire company. And it makes it easier for us to plan ahead to create, I call, we call the learning intervention, which is where we're, we're seeing this trend in the data that shows us that people or the company would be better off learning about this technical thing or this professional skill. And then we can go out and get it. That it makes better sense and gives you a, a better return on your investment because you know it's serving a direct need rather than just you know, throwing some training at a wall and, and making it stick. So when I joined the company, what I, the first thing I looked at was data. I need my data. Let's go see if I can get the data. And there wasn't any. Just, just wasn't, it wasn't there. Uh, and when I did a little bit of further digging, it's because the current or the old appraisal process was paper-based uh, in its form. And the form was very confusing. It did not make it easy for either the employee or the manager to figure out where they were in the process and what form you know, what is this? Is this form about looking back at my performance last year or is it about planning ahead for the year ahead? Where is this? I don't understand. Where is this going here? Um, it, it was very difficult to find them. I, I just couldn't find them anywhere. They, their forms were all over the place. They weren't in a central place. They weren't organized. And from a purely uh, data standpoint, it was a line-by-line -line manual approach. So when I could find a form, I then had to extract the data. It's like there's got to be an easier, better way where we can speed up this process and take it on from there. So, yeah, non-existent non, non really in a useful kind of way might, might be fair to say. Absolutely might be fair to say. I was here, yes. The, uh, the forms were not only difficult, confusing, as you mentioned, is it, are we looking back, are we looking ahead, but um, that was assuming you had a copy at all. And so, uh, I, yeah, I remember those days. So um, what was your approach to addressing some of these concerns with what we had? Uh, so when I, came, when I came on board, this is, I saw this as, a, this as a good opportunity to where we could try and shift this, but also address the challenge of the problems of appraisals head on and combine two things together. So for me, there's always two parts to this. I want people and employees' development to not be a once-a-year conversation. I want it to happen year-round. We should be constantly talking about people's development and growth in their role and where they're trying to get to next in their career. And that is the responsibility of both the manager and the employee to make that happen. So that was very much my driving factor of it. At the same time, if we can find a way that makes this process easier, quicker, slicker for the employee and the manager, but at the same time, 
allows me in my role with an HR to get access to data, see what's going on, analyze it in a more um, efficient manner, and then actually have some data that I can push back to the business and say, this is what we need. Fantastic. So that was, that was the overall aim. I had no idea as to what that solution would look like. But luckily, just before I joined, um, the idea was floated that maybe we could try and do this in Jira. Uh, and I kind of jumped onto that and said, okay, let, let's run with that. Let, let's, see, let's see what that looks like. And then, and then so forth the journey began as to seeing how we could leverage Jira to try and solve this problem uh, and make it work. So tell me about this solution that we created in Jira and kind of what that looked like initially. The, the initial idea, I said we had a really great time working with the internal dev team on this. Now, I essentially acted as the client and it was like, I'll need this thing to do this, this, and this, and this, this, and this. Go. Um, and surprisingly, the dev team, were, they would never sit there and go, no, that's not possible. It was always, hmm, that's interesting. Let's have a think about it. I'll come back to you. And at no stage did anyone ever come back to us and say, no, actually, you, you actually can't do that in Jira. We, we, we can do that. We, we could make, we can find a way to make that work, which I thought was the first thing I thought was really interesting because let's be clear, Jira is not geared for doing HR stuff. That's, that's not what it's there as primary function is to do as well. So just as a complete experiment, I thought, Right. Well, let's try this. Let's let's see if this can. Let's see whether it can do something. And then, as we began to design it and began to iterate it, it was it was it was becoming clear. It was like this is this is going to work. This is going to do what we need it to do now. Right, that's that's quite impressive. So, for the benefit of your listeners, just so uh, they were clear on how the, the technical solution looks like, we have a separate Jira instance, uh, and we did that partly for security reasons, just because we're dealing with um, HR data. But also, it was just cleaner uh, for us to spin up another instance and just kind of host it in there. With inside the instance, we have a, a project. And inside the project, every employee within the company is listed, and they're listed as an epic uh, in, um, in Jira parlance, if you'll catch it from there. We can link epics together, and that's how we create direct reporting between managers and employees, and that helps. that makes that relationship. It also helps us control security so that certain parameters were put in place where you could only see into your own epic or as a manager you could only see into the epics of the people that report to you inside every epic we can then create a series of issues and inside the issues we can then create a series of subtasks that relate to last year's objectives and performance measurements and then another issue can be for the year ahead and the upcoming issues and things that, and objectives that you want to look for uh, as well. So trying to keep it really simple and using the basic architecture of, um, of Jira, but just structuring it in, in this kind of way that actually uh, addressed our challenges head on. Here at Adaptivist, we live and breathe automation. So can you tell me a little bit about how all this process has been automated in Jira? We leveraged um, Script Runner, which is obviously our Adaptivist's main product to help us with a lot of the additional features, but also help us with the automation part of it as well. One of the things that I was very strong on, as I said, I don't want the technology to be a barrier to anyone using this. But at the same time, 
I'm sure you'd all you'd agree with me here, Brenda, as well. Is that, and maybe your Jira admins would say the same. Is that anyone that's got quite a high level of control in Jira could very quickly just run off and do stuff. And they're like, "Oh, I had this great idea. I did this." And you go, "Oh no, why? No, don't do that. Don't do that." So we had to strike a balance between uh, making this as easy as possible for people to use it, um, and to that extent, actually almost controlling and basically closing down what they could or can't do in the system. So we used um, Script Runner to do quite a lot of that as well with some of the behaviors and the scripting that we put in. And the way that it, particularly in that instance, is there's not much more that you can do in this instance um, except create the specific issues and subtasks that we set in the system that relate to this process of dealing with uh, employee development and appraisals. For the simple reason is, we don't need or want to add any more to it because it just makes it more complex and it just makes it messier. We want to make it as simple as possible for the people involved. Uh, we couldn't also have addressed the security issues within the system without having Script Runner in place because it allowed us to set uh, scripting and behavior parameters as to who could see into what um, issue or epic at that level of detail, which was um, which is quite sophisticated. We also have an org chart function which allows us to very quickly see who's reporting into whom, and that's all completely done um, through Script Runner as well within the system. When you add all that together, what you have is you just have to click one button. It creates all of the things and the information that you need within the issue. We have a reference table in Confluence, which is pulling through a documentation about a person's role and what they're doing in their role day-to-day. That is pre-populated as well. And then all the manager and employee has to do is they just have to go in and they just have to continuously update it and apply their rating year-round throughout the, throughout the year, basically, to, to see how performance can improve. Um, so a lot of it was, was very much trying to automate things and keep things simple um, in what's already a, can be a frustrating process. So tell me a bit about some of the key features for employees. You've kind of touched on this a little bit already, but uh, go into a little more detail if you would. Yeah, so uh, the, the, to take it back to the thing I said at the top, we're not in, I'm not interested in <clears throat> measuring people's performance against how they stack up against the company's values. Don't get me wrong. This is important, but ultimately values are kind of there to sort of just set you on the direction and keep you going day to day. But what really matters is how are people doing in their work and in their job? So, you know, if you're, if you're a software engineer or if you're a Jira admin, you want to know how am I doing in relation to this role? How am I improving? Or what technical skills can I learn that's important to my role? And how can I use them day to day to show my growth and experience? Um, that's the important stuff to measure. That's the stuff that people are interested in. And that's the stuff that adds the most value to the business. So inside uh, Everyone's Epic, as I said, it's all specifically tailored to your role. And inside your role, we have these series of competencies that make up your role. And that's where you, the employee and the manager, can then have that useful discussion about what's happening in your role. What are you doing day to day? Um, and how are you trying to improve in what it is that you're working on in your role day to day? And that clarity, and that's the key part here, that clarity and that transparency makes this conversation easier for both the manager and the employee because you have a frame of reference now. 
the biggest frustration with appraisals is you never really quite know what you're being measured against. And it always feels like it's subjective. And it always feels like, well, they're, just, they're always going to mark you down because that's just what they do. They mark you down. It shouldn't be that way. It should be an honest, open discussion. So when you have it there in the tool and it's clear for both the employee and the manager to see, great, let's look at it. And at any time, the employee can come and say, hey, I've been working on some stuff and I think I'm getting better at this. Can, can we talk about where I am in relation to my role? At Adaptors, we also have objectives, which we set for uh, the year ahead uh, to try and, and motivate people uh, and get them to help us either in terms of big projects that they're working on, but sometimes they can be personal ones as well. And again, very clear, we can see what the objective is. We can see what success looks like because the manager and the employee will have agreed that. Uh, it's captured in the system. And again, throughout the year, talk about your progress against that. And if it's not quite going according to plan for whatever reason, you can very quickly edit it and change it within the system. And we, everyone's like, oh, you, you can't change it. They're set in stone. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. If it's not going in that direction through no one's fault, and change it, Go, put it in the right direction, make the conversation work for the employee to ultimately help them succeed. That's what we should be doing. So I, I definitely think from the employee standpoint, it creates that transparency, it creates that ease of use, and it makes those conversations easier because we've got a frame of reference for, for, for uh, the manager and the employee to talk around so, Neil, what impact has there been at Adaptivist since this system was implemented? For me, I've spoken to a lot of managers, spoken to a lot of employees. And again, it's this clarity that, and the, this lack of, you know, you know, there's confusion that was there previously. Now, we're very clear on what it is that we're having to talk about. The conversations are getting easier. And from my HR perspective, because I can now go into the system and I can see the data that's going into it and I can make my plans off of it. I see a significant improvement in the content that's in the system. And what that tells me is that the conversations happening between managers and employees has significantly increased in relation to talking about employee development and talking about their role. That's the key thing for me. Well, Neil, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Um, this one, this is one of the things we've done at Adaptivist internally that I'm extremely proud of. Um, and I think it's gone incredibly well. And so thank you very much for giving us your perspective and some of your time today. And uh, you know, we, we look forward to maybe having you on the podcast again at some point. I certainly hope so. And I hope that for any of your listeners, they didn't find that as tedious or as torturous as it might have been talking about appraisals. And it was potentially exciting for them as well. I hope. We shall see. Always great to hear Neil's voice. That was a lot of fun. All right, guys, that brings us to the end of another episode. It's been fun. It's been real. And it's been real fun. If you're listening to this podcast and you want to say hi, do you want to be featured on a segment? Do you just want to tell us anything? We really want to hear from you. Email us at learn at adaptivist.com. Make sure that you're following Adaptivist on the various social media channels at Adaptivist. And that's it. So for Matthew Stubblefield and Brenda Burrell, I'm Ryan Spilkin, and we'll see you next time on Adaptivist Live. Good attempt on the last name, Matthew. Kudos there. Thank you. Thank you.